Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to put a little action on the games, then this is the place for you. Because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. I'm excited to be back for another episode to break down week eight. How did we get to week eight already of the college football season? But first, a reminder, you can find me on social media, Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, all at the same handle at Gorg on sports. I'd love to hear from you there because I want you to be a part of the show. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me about your bad beats. Tell me about your big wins. Tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me what I got right. And of course, what I got wrong. And once again, I'm getting a little bit more right than I'm getting wrong right now. A solid week last week. I was positive uh, up over a little more than a unit in week seven on the season up six and a quarter units, 6.25 units on the college football season on just my in-season wagers. Some of my futures are starting to come in. I'm lost one already. The Colorado under, under three and a half. Obviously, that ended up being a bad bet. So for the college football season as a whole, including my futures and all of my in-season bets, I'm up 5.25 units. Looking to keep that number, keep going up into the right as the season goes on. We got a big week eight with one monster game, Ohio State, Penn State. That's going to be our showdown breakdown for today. Going to go deep into that one. But before we get there, let's go back to the future and talk about some futures bets I have my eye on uh, over the course of this week and looking forward to the rest of the season. So, One bet that I am really interested in was a Heisman bet. And if you have been following me and listening to me over the past several months, you know, I've been huge on Washington. I've been huge on Michael Penix. I've loved everything about that Huskies team. And my bets in the offseason reflected that. I got in on Penix at 16 to 1 to win the Heisman. Uh, I did five different Heisman bets all at a half unit this offseason. And and Penix was the one that I liked the most. And that has proven right now to be a very good bet. His odds on FanDuel are now down to minus 140 to win the Heisman after that Oregon game. I have a cash out option right now where I could actually cash out that bet at seven to one right now. Got it at 16 to one before the season. It's down to minus 140. I could cash it out at seven to one right now. The other Heisman bet that I have that's doing really well is JJ McCarthy. I got him, the Michigan quarterback, at 30 to one and on FanDuel he has the second best odds after 
Penix to win the Heisman right now. Uh, I'm sorry, that changed a little bit. Dylan Gabriel is second at eight to one. And then McCarthy and Jaden Daniels are tied at third at 12 to one. So down from 30 to one when I got it to 12 and one. The, the other three aren't worth talking about. They're not going to hit. It's Blake Corum. It's Devin Brown, who's Ohio State's backup that I got at 80 to one. That was the long shot bet in case he won the job. And then Marvin Harrison at 30 to one. Those are the three all at a half unit that are definitely not going to hit. But I'm sitting pretty good right now, looking like I'm going to get at least one of those guys, either Penix or McCarthy, to New York uh, to, as a Heisman finalist. So I'm liking that. But there was one Heisman bet that caught my eye, and I really don't want to add much more in the way of Heisman bets because I'm sitting well. But that Oregon-Washington game, to me, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I came away so impressed with both of those teams. I felt better about both of those teams leaving that game than I did coming in. And I was high on both of them coming into that game. And I saw that Bo Nix's Heisman odds are all the way down to 30 to 1. So I had to put a little sprinkle, a little half unit on Bo Nix at 30 to 1. Because if you look at the stats, if you look at the quarterback stats on the season, Bonix is right there. He's right there with all the leaders in the country. When you look at yardage, he's just under 1,800 yards, 22nd in the country. Penix is about 500 yards ahead of him, 2,300 yards. Not a huge gap at all. He's completing an astounding 79% of his passes, 17 touchdowns to one pick. Not much different then Penix is 20 touchdowns to three picks. I think he's right there, and they have the games ahead of them where he can show out, he can put up big performances, and if they end up running the table and beating Washington in a Pac-12 championship game, there's no reason that Bo Nix can't win the Heisman. If he has big games against USC, if he has a big game against Utah in that defense, if he wins a rematch and performs the way he did in the first meeting against Washington, he's going to go to New York. He's going to be right there in that Heisman Trophy conversation. And I just think 30 to 1 holds a lot of value. And uh, it's it's kind of a hedge in case Penix does and Penix and Washington do lose that Pac-12 championship game to Oregon. So I love where I sit, where I have Michael Penix at 16 to 1, J.J. McCarthy at 30 to 1, and Bo Nix all at 30 to 1. I don't think I'm going to be looking to put down anything else Heisman-wise, but that Bo Nix at 30 to 1 just held too much value for me, and I felt like I, I had to go and do it. The other bet that I have not placed, I don't think I'm going to place, but I am. I strongly, strongly looked at is also around Oregon. It's Oregon at 33 to one to win the national championship. So I have a couple national championship bets already way before the season. I put in a Michigan 10 to one bet to win the national title. I feel really good about that. I think Michigan is the best team in the country right now. Uh, we kind of went through my rankings and how I would rank. And I'm more of a resume based banker uh, ranker. Who, who have you played? Who have you beaten? How have you played in those games? I don't think preseason should really matter at all at this point in the season. I wouldn't rank Michigan number one based on that because their schedule just hasn't been there. But if I'm looking ahead and who can win the national championship, I still love Michigan. They're plus 270 on FanDuel, tied with Georgia, both at plus 270. I thought Michigan should have been the favorite coming into the season. I think they should be the favorite right now. I really like it. I also added a Texas bet. I got Texas at 11 to 1 before the Oklahoma game. As I said, if you recall, 
that if they win that Oklahoma game, you're never going to get better odds. Well, they lost it. It shot all the way up to 20 to one. I grabbed 20 to one at another half unit. So I think I'm going to just stay tight with these. I don't want to cut into my Michigan profit, potential Michigan profit too much there because I feel really, really good about it. But Oregon 33 to one is a game I would strongly take a look at. And you might still have a little bit of time to get it because Oregon has Washington State this weekend, but you better get it before they go and play Utah. You better get it before they go on the road to Utah at the end of this month because if they win that game, I don't think you're going to get 30-1, to 33-1 to 1 again. So I, I am still thinking about it. I haven't done it yet. I just feel that good about Michigan, and I like my Texas long shot. But, I mean, there's a real scenario where if I got in on Oregon 33-1, to 1, I could have Michigan at 10-1, to 1, Texas at 11-1, to 1, Texas at 20-1, to 1, and Oregon at 33-1, to 1, and those could be three of the four playoff teams. It is entirely possible that those could be three of the four playoff teams. And the way that this year is going, it's also entirely possible that none of the three make the college football playoff. That Ohio State or Penn State gets in from the Big Ten, Oklahoma gets in from the Big 12, Washington gets in from the Pac-12, or Washington and Oregon both take losses, additional losses, and neither gets in. That is all possible. Same thing in the Big 12. It's so open this year that it's it's worth thinking about that Oregon 33 to one because again I left that game feeling really good about them I felt good about the way that they ran the football I felt great about their offense that defense I don't know what kind of defense can stop Michael Penix in Washington but I think they have just enough to make some major waves throughout the rest of this college football season so that is one I haven't put in but one I am definitely watching uh, from a futures perspective I love futures I love the futures market they're a ton of fun it's a it's a great way to to hit some bigger bets and and really get a big payout so that's something I'm going to continue to do the rest of the season that's back to the future for today now let's get into our showdown breakdown a huge game in the big 10 we haven't really had one of these yet there's three teams at the top of this conference and they haven't played each other yet but over the course of the rest of the season we're gonna see Penn State play Ohio State Penn State play Michigan Michigan and Ohio State play each other we are gonna find out who the best team in the Big Ten East is and who the best team in the Big Ten is. It's one of these three teams. I think they're all, to me, top 10 to 12-ish teams nationally. And now we got to find out which of them is a top four team, which of them is a top two team, and which is maybe a little bit further in the back of the pack. It all starts on Saturday on uh, Fox at noon Eastern time, Penn state, a four to four and a half point dog go into the horseshoe to take on as Gus Johnson would call them the world famous Ohio state Buckeyes 46 and a half or 47 is the total. And this reminds me because we haven't had a chance yet. This might be our first world famous championship belt game this is something that i was thinking about in the offseason i should have brought it up when the notre dame game happened but gus johnson has now started calling them the world famous ohio state buckeyes over the past several years and i think world famous it's like a championship belt when ohio state gets beat that team inherits the world famous moniker so world famous is at stake in this game this is a world famous title belt match they can become the world famous 
Penn State Nittany Lions with a win over Ohio State. That's how it works. I'm declaring this right here on Saturday, the first ever world famous championship belt match. The winner gets the moniker and then Penn State has to continue to defend that crown if they get it the rest of the year. I love this. I'm going to I'm going to start keeping track of this every week. The first ever world famous championship title match goes down on Saturday. So let's get into it. And I want to start with what's kind of at stake in this game. So yeah, you have these three teams at the top of the Big Ten, and one of them will very likely go to the college football playoff, if not two. Last year, Ohio State and Michigan both got in, uh, and half the college football playoff field was made up of Big Ten teams. That could very well happen this year. I don't think it's going to happen if all three split with one another. I think that would create the problem. I think what you really need to have to make that work is Ohio State and, Penn, and and Michigan to both go undefeated again until they play each other on that Saturday after Thanksgiving. I think that's the way it would have to work. So obviously that's at stake. There's uh, implications for this season. There's Big Ten championship berth that, on the line. There is a college ball playoff berth on the line. It's at least a step towards getting there. But it represents a lot more for Penn State. It's a chance for James Franklin and Penn State to finally take that next step up. James Franklin has now been at Penn State for a long time. He's in his 10th year, and he he's done a really nice job there. He's won 11 games three times. He's won the conference once. He's taken them to a bunch of New Year New Year's Six Bowl games. He won the Rose Bowl last year, but he's never made the four-team playoff, and he's a combined 4 and 14 against Ohio State and Michigan and even that's a little bit misleading because he's been a lot better against Michigan where he's 3 and 6 than he's been against Ohio State and he's 1 and 8 against the Buckeyes and then there's very much this feeling among Penn State fans that James Franklin has them a step behind Ohio State and Michigan, that they can beat everybody else on their schedule, that they're a, a clear tier ahead of everybody else on their schedule. And I don't think I would argue that at all. They are, they're a clear tier ahead of everyone else in the Big Ten. They're above that Wisconsin tier. They're above that Iowa tier. And I'm not just talking this year, but I'm kind of talking about the last 10 years since he's been the head coach there. He has them above those teams for the most part but he's not quite at Ohio State, Michigan level. Ohio State, or Penn State rather, may be unrivaled, but they are trying to break in to that big rivalry game between Ohio State and Michigan and remind them, hey, there's another team here who's just as good as you, who can take down this conference, but it hasn't happened a lot. One in eight against Ohio State. The only win was 2016. They've had some close games, but they haven't gotten over the hump against the Buckeyes in arguably Franklin's two best seasons. So 2016, they won the big 10, but they got absolutely smashed by Michigan 49 to 10. And then last year they won 11 games, including a Rose bowl, but they lost to both teams. So even in their best years, it feels like these teams are still standing in their way and stopping them from getting where they want to go. So this represents a huge opportunity for Penn State and James Franklin to say, hey, we are 
on this level. We can take this next step up. We can make a college ball playoff while there's only, only four teams getting invited. We don't have to wait for this field to expand because that's the kind of program we are. This is kind of an existential game for Penn State. And from the Ohio State perspective, you know, nothing is going to be satisfying for them until they beat Michigan again. Nothing's going to alleviate that anxiety, that anxiety that they've been feeling for the last two years. They had dominated that rivalry for so long, and now losing two in a row, there is so much anxiety around this Ohio State program. Ryan Day has only lost six games his entire time at Ohio State, and there's chatter about whether he's the right guy for the job. And uh, this is nothing is going to take that away until they beat Michigan again. Nothing will take that away. But this is just a a step. This is a roadblock. This is a, a box to check. They have to get by this game in order to get to Michigan. Because you can't fix that feeling. You can't get rid of that anxiety by winning this game. But you know what? It will sure as hell exacerbate that feeling if they lose it. You don't want to be Ryan Day and lose this game. This game doesn't fix anything for Ohio State. It's like they say. It's like they always say in college basketball, right? You can't win a national championship in November In college football, you can't win a national championship in September. But in college football, for most of the the history of the sport, you can sure lose a national championship in September if you don't show up. In college basketball, you can sure cost yourself an NCAA tournament bid in November if you have a bad stretch and you lose a bunch of non-conference games. You can cost yourself early in the season. And for Ohio State, you can't fix that feeling. You can't beat Michigan until you play Michigan. But if that anxiety is only going to get worse if you lose this game. So there's a lot at stake for both of these teams here. Now, getting into the actual game itself, I think one of the very interesting aspects of this is the quarterback battle. And for years, Penn State has given Ohio State some decent fights, but there's always been a difference at the quarterback position for years, it was Sean Clifford versus Justin Fields. Then Sean Clifford versus CJ Stroud, a really clear quarterback advantage for Ohio state last year. JT to on the defensive line also was just an absolute game wrecker for Ohio state, but Sean Clifford didn't help things in that game either. He turned the ball over a few times. Some of them were great plays by JTT and some of them were were Clifford not quite being, he was a good, but not an elite quarterback and things are, are different now. It's a new era for both in terms of quarterback play because at Penn state, you have drew Aller and ironically, he's a Northeast Ohio kid leading Penn state. And for the Buckeyes, you have Kyle McCord, ironically, a Philly kid, leading the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I think that quarterback battle is going to be one that's really interesting to watch because for the first time in a long time, I'm not sure that Ohio State has a very clear-cut quarterback advantage. Now, the advantage that they do might have, the Buckeyes, when it comes to quarterback, is that Drew Aller has to go on the road to a very intimidating place to play in Columbus, Ohio. And it probably 
isn't going to help matters that he is a Northeast Ohio guy. I saw him. I saw some comments uh, earlier this week about he's letting his family handle all the ticket requests. There's going to be a lot of demand for family and friends to come see him. A lot of them probably Buckeyes fans themselves, but that's an environment he just hasn't encountered yet. Neither of these teams has really played a murderer's row, but Kyle McCord passed that test in South Bend. Now, we might not say he passed that test if Notre Dame doesn't drop a pick or two on the final possession, on the final drive there. If if they just hold on to the ball, we might not be saying he passed that test, but he at least survived that test. He has that experience, and they came away with the win, and I think that's invaluable. We have to now see Drew Aller pass that same test against Ohio State. And I think that's a very, that's going to be an interesting battle to watch. The clear strength of each of these teams has been their defense so far this year. It's been absolutely the story. And same for Michigan as well. We're not talking about Michigan right now, but the big three in the Big Ten come into this game as the three best scoring defenses in the country. Michigan's first allowing just 6.7 points per game. Ridiculous. Under a touchdown plus the extra point per game. Penn State second at eight points allowed per game. And Ohio State third at 9.7. These are the number two and three scoring defenses in the country. If you also look at the analytics, they're high up there. Penn State ranks second in defensive SP plus and Ohio State's fourth. Penn State leads the nation in defensive success rate. So meaning on a down-to-down basis, nobody stops an offense from making progress more effectively than they do. This is a team that has playmakers at all three levels of the defense, and they lead the country in havoc rate, creating havoc on 31% of snaps. So they're either sacking the quarterback, forcing a fumble, intercepting a pass, Uh, breaking up a pass on 31% of the snaps the opposing offense takes. And as always, these numbers are all garbage time excluded because all I care about, all you should care about, is what these stats look like when the game is actually on the line. Penn State creates havoc like crazy. And like I said, it's all three levels of the defense. Up front, they have Chop Robinson, a transfer from Maryland on the, at defensive end, who NFL guys rave about. They love him. And then on the opposite side, they have Adisa Isaac, who has five sacks on the year. At cornerback, they have Kalen King, who was on Dane Brugler's 2024 top 50 NFL draft prospect list before the season. Chop Robinson was on that list too, by the way. And it's not just coming from a few star players. You're getting it from everywhere. They have six different players who've registered at least two sacks on the year. And then six players who have picked off at least one pass. They've held every single team they've played to under four yards per carry. Now, if there's one area that Penn State maybe hasn't quite been up to par defensively, it's tackling where Pro Football Focus grades them as the 98th best tackling defense in the country, and that may be a little bit of a problem when you're dealing with Marvin Harrison and potentially Emeka Abuka. We're not sure about Emeka Abuka right now. There's a lot of questions about this Ohio State uh, offense and who's healthy and who's not and who's going to play and who's not. So we'll see. 
we'll see what happens there. But that might be something just to watch as they're tackling. As as good as that defense is, as much havoc as it creates, and it's you got to tackle. That that's one of the fundamentals of football. And for them to be ranked 98th, that's a little bit concerning by Pro Football Focus. Now on the Ohio State side. This, as weird as it, as it sounds to say, the defense has been their strength clearly as well. This is a very, very good defense. And while Penn State has been better on a down-to-down basis, Penn State's great at creating havoc, Ohio State's biggest strength has been limiting the big play, especially through the air, which was their biggest weakness a season ago. Jim Knowles really addressed that weakness over the offseason and has turned it into a strength, which is an outstanding job. What you can ask, only thing you could ask from any coach is to take a weakness and turn it into a strength. Ohio State ranks sixth nationally in limiting explosiveness, and PFF grades them as the fifth best coverage team in the nation. They're led by cornerback Denzel Burke, who has either broken up or intercepted a, pa- the, a pass over 20% of the time he was targeted. Again, that data per pro football focus. So when you throw his way, a fifth of the time, he's either going to break that pass up or he's going to intercept it. So don't go at Denzel Burke. That's the clear strength of both of these teams is the defense. Now, as far as what hasn't been working for these teams, for Ohio State, to me, it's the the running game without Travion Henderson. Travion Henderson is their clear number one guy. Against Notre Dame, he goes for, uh, 104 yards on 14 carries, but the combo of Chip Trainum and Mayan, Mayan Williams only combined for 13 yards on seven carries. Then Travion Henderson is out for the Maryland game. That same duo of Trainum and Williams goes for uh, 26 or 26 carries for 84 yards against Maryland, just 3.2 yards per carry. Then Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are both out for Purdue. Ohio State changes things up a little bit. They get six players at least to carry. Dallin Hayden leads the way. He goes for 76 yards on 11 carries, so 7.6 yards per carry. Uh, Earlier this week, according to an Adam Rittenberg tweet, Ryan Day was asked about Emeka Abuka, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and he's just said, hopefully we'll have all those guys back for Sunday. I don't know what to how to read that. Uh, I mean, Henderson's been out two weeks now, actually three weeks because they had a bye after the Notre Dame game, but without him, they really struggled to run the ball against Maryland. When he wasn't carrying the ball, they struggled against Notre Dame. This hasn't been the best offensive line. This isn't a vintage Ohio State offensive line. They seem like they figured some things out. Dallin Hayden was kind of their lead guy against Purdue. But this is definitely a a concern for Ohio State if they don't have Travion Henderson in this game against Penn State. Now, from Penn State's perspective, their weakness has also been on offense, and it's been hitting big plays, especially in the passing game. Drew Aller has been really good this year. He's completing 65% of his passes, and he hasn't thrown a single pick. His QBR is in the top 25 nationally. All good things. But his 6.9 yards per attempt is the same as Nate Johnson's at Utah. And Utah's offense is universally considered pretty putrid. The only thing they can do is run the ball. That, That passing attack is not one that is scaring anybody. Penn State's also third worst in passing play explosiveness. 
there are some concerns here about Penn State and the ability to hit the big play. And I don't think that all comes down to Drew Aller. I think a little bit of that is on their wide receivers as well. Keandre Lambert-Smith, he's kind of been their go-to guy and a big play guy, but they need someone else to step up. Someone who I was really high on in the offseason, who I thought would make a huge impact for them, was the transfer from Kent State, Dante Cephas, who has just seven catches on the year. They need more from Dante Cephas. And then they do have that good running game. But Nicholas Singleton, his yards per carry are down from 6.8 a year ago to 4.1. I said earlier, Ohio State's biggest strength is the ability to limit big plays through the air. Penn State's biggest weakness is the ability to hit big plays through the air or the inability to hit big plays through the air, I guess, is the best way to say it. That's concerning for me. That's concerning from a Penn State perspective. If you're going to go into the horseshoe and try to win a big game without hitting big plays, uh, it seems like a tall task. It seems like a tall task for Penn State. So all in all, when I look at this game, it just seems like a defensive struggle. I put out early last Sunday morning that I was hitting the under on this one, under 52 and a half. This game has now shot all the way down. The total on this game has shot all the way down now to 45 and a half, a full touchdown lower. In just a week, not even a week, since Sunday morning, I put this in like 8.30 Sunday morning. It's down a full score. So I'm not alone in thinking that this one is going to be tight. It's going to be defensive oriented. And James Franklin has kind of shown throughout his history, throughout his time there at Penn State, that he's not a guy who wants to take a lot of chances. He's going to get a little bit more conservative. It'll be interesting to see how he coaches this game. Like, does he take that Dan Lanning approach where he's going to go for it? He's going to be aggressive. That's the kind of team they are. Or is he going to be a little more conservative and say, hey, also, I mean, this isn't, you know, if Dan Lanning had a defense first team like Penn State, he might have said, hey, I am going to punt it away because this is a grind and every point matters. And I'm going to take these field goals because 18 points might be all that we get. It's going to be interesting to watch how James Franklin coaches this game. I hit this under early in the week. I can't in good faith now say at a touchdown lower, still go under. So I was looking for some other ways to try to keep in mind that this is going to be a lower scoring game. I still feel very strongly about that. It's going to be a tight game. So what other ways could I think of to get some money down that's not on the under, but uses that knowledge? The one other bet that I have placed on this game is Drew Aller under 190 and a half passing yards. So at first, that number looks really low. And I don't think it's super worth looking at some of Aller's numbers from this year just because They've been up big so many times, they haven't had to throw the ball. But I looked at some of the opposing quarterbacks that Ohio State has gone against. And Sam Hartman, they held Sam Hartman to 175 yards through the air at home. Talia Tungavailoa, just over that 190-yard threshold, 196 yards. And I would say Penn State has a much better running game than Maryland does that Maryland is much more pass oriented than Penn State is and 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 Talia barely got over that 190 and a half threshold Hudson card for Purdue 126 yards and to open the season 
Indiana's two quarterbacks combined for 82 yards. So I like Drew Aller here under 190 and a half passing yards. I just think this one is going to be a game where Penn State is cautious. Penn State doesn't want to make their young quarterback make a mistake or doesn't want to put him in a position to make a bad mistake. They haven't thrown the ball down the field a lot this year. I don't know that they necessarily have the weapons to throw the ball down the field a lot in this game. Ohio State's been great at limiting the big play. I think they're going to keep everything in front of them. So give me Drew Aller under 190 and a half passing yards. Of course, I have my under 52 and a half from earlier this week, but I can't advocate playing it now at 45 and a half. Unbelievable to drop a full touchdown. But again, another great reason to look at those lines early and hit them as soon as they pop. I, if I had to have a lean in this game, I would take the Buckeyes minus four just because they are at home and it's Drew Aller's first big road game against a super hostile crowd. Ohio State also has Marvin Harrison Jr., who they've really been force-feeding recently. And if you have, I mean, he's the best player on the field in this game. So if I had to pick, picking Ohio State, but I, I I don't, I'm not betting this. My two bets are the under 52 and a half and Drew Aller under 190 and a half passing yards. All right, well, that Penn State-Ohio State game is definitely the big one of the day. We got a whole slate again, so it's time to spray the board. I will take you through everything I'm watching, everything I'm betting, and let's skip the weeknight. Let's go straight to Saturday and the noon time slot. And, of course, that main screen on at noon is going to be Penn State-Ohio State. That is the game I am going to be absolutely locked into and honestly don't have another bet at that time slot for the week. There's a couple other good games that I'll kind of keep my eye on during that time slot, but I'm going to be locked in pretty hard on Penn State, Ohio State. Might check out UCF, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma host UCF. UCF has that interesting running game. Dylan Gabriel facing his old team, but the, but the Sooners, a 17.5-point favorite. This is their first game since Red River, a game I considered betting. Arkansas, Mississippi State. I really was considering Arkansas minus five and a half, Arkansas minus six. A couple, that's then kind of the number you'll see out there. So I don't like this Mississippi State thing, team. I, I think that Arkansas's defense has been playing better. It's their offense that I don't trust at all. They've really struggled. They've lost a ton of close games this season. I think it's four one-score games. Yeah, they lost the BYU game, the LSU game, the Ole Miss and Alabama games. They've all been by one score, and they just don't have an offense right now. So ultimately, I was tempted by it. There's a lot of six to seven-point home dogs this week, or home favorites this week, I should say, where it's like, I'm tempted but I, I just couldn't quite pull the trigger. This is a small card for me this week, actually, as you'll see. Uh, I think I only have, let's see, six, six games, six plays on the slate and my money line parlay of the week. So I, I don't have anything else that I'm betting at that noon time slot. Definitely a few things I'll be keeping my eyes on, but nothing else that I'm betting. So let's move on to 3.30. And at 3.30, there is another really big game, a rivalry game. The third Saturday in October, 
number 17 Tennessee goes to Tuscaloosa to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. And this is the rematch of last year's game where Tennessee finally got over the hump and beat Alabama. It was that great scene with the crowd storming the field in Knoxville. Those teams put up about a million points in that game. And this one's going to be completely different. I expect this one to be a very low-scoring game. The total right now is like 48.5, I don't have a bet on it. What I'm really looking for right now, and I haven't seen any pop yet, is I'm looking for Jalen Milrow under rushing yards. I haven't seen that prop out there yet because he has been getting sacked like crazy. Tennessee has a really good defensive line. As soon as I find it, as soon as I see it, I'll tweet it out. Uh, I haven't seen a number yet, though, but he gets sacked a lot. It's a lot of negative yardage. And I think this is going to be a low scoring game. I think he will get sacked. Tennessee has a very good front seven. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for there. One thing that I do find kind of interesting in this game is this could be the last time that Tennessee and Alabama are playing this game annually. Uh, with SEC expansion and the way that schedule might change, you know, the assumption is there's going to be one protected rivalry, which of course for Alabama would be Auburn. But this is a huge rivalry. It's arguably Tennessee's biggest rival, Alabama is. And uh, it's a game that just, you know, growing up, it's so interesting growing up when I grew up, growing up in the 90s, I didn't quite understand. And growing up in the 90s, not in the Southeast, I didn't understand truly what Alabama was because they were not very good for most of my childhood. They were not good until Nick Saban got there in, in my lifetime. So I didn't understand this, but I, I remember I remember as a kid, game day, was in Tuscaloosa or Knoxville, one of the two, and watching a segment just on what this rivalry meant and what it was about. And um, it just was a moment, like I can't tell you exactly what I saw in that segment, but it was an emotion that that stuck with me and something that I could relate to, you know, not as uh, being a Maryland fan, Maryland, no, nobody... Nobody cares about Maryland as much as Maryland cares about them. And I'm notably thinking about Duke in basketball. And Duke and Maryland, I mean, it was a big rivalry. It was a huge for Maryland fans. And this one, this game was a rivalry that, you know, has stuck and, and persisted even when things haven't been even on the field. That that feeling has persisted. That feeling of it being a big rivalry still has persisted. And it's kind of different than Duke-Maryland, right? Because once they were no longer even, Maryland fans, myself included, still viewed it as a rivalry, but Duke fans kind of shrugged their shoulders. There was a time it meant a lot, then it didn't. This isn't one of those rivalries. This is a rivalry that has persisted years and years and years, really kind of regardless of how good or bad either team has been, how much, regardless of how much one team has dominated the other. And last year, you could see that catharsis. It, It was cathartic for Tennessee fans to finally get over the hump and beat them. And uh, I just say all that to say, it's sad that we potentially might not be seeing it 
on a yearly basis going forward. So no bet in this game, but that will be the game that I'm watching on my main screen. Going to be looking for some Jalen Milrow under rushing yards, under rushing yards props here, because I think Tennessee is going to get to the quarterback. I think it is going to be a low scoring game here. 49, you know, it might be worth a look. It didn't jump out to me as one with with huge value, um, but it, it, it might be worth a look. And, you know, if I do add it, if I end up adding it, I will tweet it out. So stay locked to my Twitter feed at Gorgon Sports for anything that I add later in this week. Let's get to a game that I absolutely am betting, and that's Washington State going to Eugene. They're going to play Oregon. Oregon coming off that tough loss against Washington and they are a 18 and a half 20 20 and a half point favorite this line is kind of all over the place but it's close to three touchdowns in this game and I do think they roll but I'm not gonna play the spread here I'm actually gonna play Washington under 20 and a half Washington State under 20 and a half team total this Washington offense was flying high to start the season After week five, they were ranked 19th in Bill Connolly's offensive SP+. They had the 19th best offense in the country. Two weeks later, they're now 40th. The last two games, Cam Ward, their quarterback, has had a 59% completion percentage, one touchdown to three interceptions, and he's been sacked five times. They've scored 17 points and six points. Now, all the talk with Oregon has been about their offense, right? And why not? Because you have Bo Nix, who's throwing the ball over the place, and he's throwing it up to Franklin, who's a great wide receiver. They're a fun offense to watch. Great offense to talk about. They run the ball well. I was so impressed with their running game last week. But, you know, the underrated thing about Oregon was their defense has been really good. Oregon's allowed 10 points or less in four of the six games they've played. The other two games, they allowed 30 points on the road to Texas Tech and then 36 last week to Washington, who has arguably the best offense in the country. Oregon's 21st in defensive back havoc rate and they're 34th in pass play success rate defensively. So they're really good at defending the pass, which is what Washington State does. They're a little bit one-dimensional in that regard. They're not quite as well-rounded. I talked last week. I said, I I think I'm going to take Oregon State against UCLA because I think they are more well-rounded offensively than Washington State is. I think this is a really good matchup for Oregon. So I like Washington State to go under 20 and a half points. So under 20 and a half points on the team, on the Washington State team total. Another game at the 3.30 time slot that I really like is Missouri minus seven against South Carolina. I love this Missouri offense. I love Luther Burden at wide receiver. I've talked about him a ton this year. I like some of their other wide receivers. And Theo Weiss, Brady Cook has been playing great at quarterback. South Carolina's defense has been absolutely getting shredded, including by Graham Mertz and the Florida Gators a week ago. So give me Missouri here to just simply outscore South Carolina. Mizzou minus seven at home. Then a couple games here that I'm going to put in, in legs of my money line parlay. I'm going to start with Oklahoma state. 
Oklahoma State money line at West Virginia. Oklahoma State has been playing really well recently. They beat the two Kansas teams back-to-back. They were both home games after a really rough start to the season, and their offensive SP Plus has jumped dramatically over the last two weeks from 64th to 45th. Now, part of that is Alan Bowman has now been solidified as their starting quarterback, and he's been pretty good. And then part of that is Ollie Gordon, their running back, has been absolutely on fire. 136 yards, 6.5 yards per carry against Kansas State. And then he goes for 168 yards, 5.8 yards per carry against Kansas. I'm betting here that Oklahoma State has figured some things out and it'll translate to the road. I think West Virginia has had a great start to the year, but I think it's been a little bit uh, of smoke and mirrors. I view these teams very comparably. So... I'm going to take Oklahoma State here on the road with the plus odds in the first leg of my money line parlay of the week. And as far as what that money line actually is, let me try to find it for you right here because it is important to know plus 142 on the money line. So that's going to be the first leg of my money line parlay of the week. My second leg is a game that I, I mean, I don't love this game. I'm not betting it alone, but I'm trying to find three underdogs here to win outright and, you know, give us some value, give us some juice. And so I'm going to take Wake Forest on the money line, hosting Pitt at home. Uh, This is more of a, buy low on wake sell high if you will on pit thing and and it's not and i'm sorry and i kind of misspoke i said i'm tr- i'm going to take 3 dogs wake is is actually not a dog in this game but they're minus 115 this game is basically a pick 'em to wake minus 1 wake minus 1 and a half uh, depending on where you look. So, you know, it, it, it's a close one here. It's not It's not always going to be three dogs, but I'm not going to be putting like a minus 300 teams in, in this money line parlay of the week. Wake Forest minus 115, a little bit of a buy low on them, sell high on Pitt. Uh, Pitt did go out and they got the win against Louisville a week ago. Uh, they have looked better. They look better in that game with Christian Bayer at quarterback. I still think they have a lot of problems on the offensive line. I'm still not sure that I trust them to go on the road. I, again, view these teams very evenly. So I'll take Wake, I think, maybe being a little bit undervalued here. I don't love it. I don't, I'm not going to bet it by itself. But I'm looking for a couple teams that I can combine to get a big number here. So give me the Wake money line. Going to the primetime slot, and there's not one huge game in this primetime slot. This is one where you want like four TVs so you can watch them all, or you're going to just kind of rotate through and cross games off and put ones in if, if ones get out of hand. So I'm just going to kind of go chronologically here, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. TCU goes to Kansas State. Kansas State's a six and a half point favorite. The total's 59, and this is a rematch of last year's Big 12 title game. And these two teams look very, very different. Josh Hoover had a really nice game for TCU last week, replacing Chandler Morris, who was injured. Maybe they found a guy there. And then Kansas State has an interesting quarterback situation going on as well, where they're now playing Will Howard and Avery Johnson, a really highly touted young quarterback who had a ton, a bunch of rushing touchdowns last week. He's a guy that Kansas State fans think very highly of. And it's going to be, it's like, can Kansas State ever just have one quarterback at a time? Last year, it's, uh, it was, 
uh, I want to say Colin Klein. It's not Colin Klein. That's the offensive coordinator who also played there. Quarterback had a very similar game to Adrian Martinez, who was their starting quarterback, but then he gets hurt. They're playing him and Will Howard at the same time. Will Howard uh, eventually looks like he's just the better option. And then Will Howard comes into this year, seems poised for a, a huge season. And now they're going to play both him and Avery Johnson together. But you know what? It seems like it worked. And if there is a team in this conference that is going to get to the Big 12 championship game that's not named Oklahoma, that's not named Texas, I think it is Kansas State. This is going to be an interesting one for them. They're a six and a half point favorite at home against TCU. I'm tempted to take Kansas State, but there's no, I'm, I'm not betting this one. A game I am betting at 730 is Duke at Florida State. So I was big on Duke last week hosting NC State. I thought they were undervalued in that game. I talked about how much I like their defense, but now they go on the road to number four, Florida State. Florida State, I got this yesterday at minus 13 and a half. It looks like everywhere now it's back up to 14 and a half. You know what? I still will take it. I would still take it at 14 and a half um, because Duke had a really hard time moving the ball last week against NC State. This Florida State offense, to me, has as many weapons as anybody in the country. This is not like Duke playing Clemson at home, where you know they could make it a defensive game, they could shut them down. That's not going to happen against Florida State. I've been saying it for a while now. Good offense is more important than a good defense. If like, you get good on good, the offense is going to win. And I'm not the only one saying that. Something Nick Saban said a couple of years ago. I think it was after, uh, I think it was after that 2019 LSU game or sometime in that season, talking about that LSU team. I might be wrong on exactly when he said it, but Nick Saban has talked about how good offense beats good defense these days. I think that's what happens here. I think Florida State is hungry for games like this where they have a chance to, to show, you know, what they can really do. So I got Florida state minus 13 and a half. I would still take it minus 14 and a half. I think the Seminoles roll in this one. It's TBD, whether Riley Leonard is going to play in this one for Duke or not. Uh, there's seemingly been optimism uh, about whether he's going to play or not. But if he doesn't like, if he does play and he's not a hundred percent, I mean, I think that's a, a really big problem for them because so much of his game is about mobility. And then if if he doesn't play, well, we saw what they did with a couple weeks to, to get uh, Henry Boleyn ready to go. He only threw the ball 12 times last week. They ran the ball really well, but I'm not sure they really trust him. So I just like Florida State to run away and outscore Duke in this one. Another game that I am not betting, 8 p.m., uh, Utah. Goes to USC. Really tempted to take Utah or USC minus seven, I should say. They did not look good last week. I backed them last week. Uh, they have a lot to figure out. I don't know why their offense looked as bad as it did. And Caleb Williams threw the ball away as much as he did. But I'm just not a believer in this Utah team. If you if USC's defense can be or offense rather can be anything close to what it was last year to what it was earlier this year. I, I like USC here, but that seven points is big enough and they looked bad enough last week and they didn't look great the week before either that I just want to stay away from this one here, but it's going to be one I'm definitely monitoring a big game in the Pac-12 there. And then my last game 
and I'm going to bet this game on the spread, and I'm also going to take it as part of my last leg of my money line parlay of the week. I am going to take Miami as a three-point dog, and Miami on the money line as my final leg of my money line par- parlay of the week, hosting Clemson. I really still do like this Miami offense. I think they have a lot of playmakers. I like Tyler Van Dyke. I think they can move the ball down the field. Even in that Georgia Tech game where they lost because of Mario Cristobal's boneheaded decision to not kneel the ball at the end of the game, they moved the ball. They only scored 20 points, but they put up 453 yards. They just turned the ball over five times. I think this is a Miami team that has a really good offense. I don't think Clemson's offense can keep up with them. Clemson, yeah, they, they've been winning. I, I Truthfully, it, it's great. I'm glad for them. They've been winning. You know, at the end of the day, all that matters is what's in the wins and loss column but they still just don't look like a, a, a very explosive offense to me. A week ago, they beat Wake Forest 17-12. to 12. They only throw for 131 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt. I just don't see a lot of explosiveness out of this offense. It's like their defense has to carry them. They are, you know, not to the same extent that Iowa is, uh, but but they are defense first. They are like an ACC Iowa, an ACC Utah right now where defense rules the day. And that's not always a bad thing. I actually think it's extraordinarily impressive what Iowa's doing, how good their defense is. I'm impressed by Clemson's defense, but I've said it a few times. I say it every week. It's 2023 and offense good offense beats good defense a lot of the times. And I just like Miami's playmakers on the outside. I like Tyler Van Dyke. I like them to move the ball, hit explosive plays. And I don't know that Clemson can keep up with that. If it was in death Valley, this would be a different story. I know Miami doesn't have the best home field advantage in the world, but it's more not being in death Valley than it is being in Miami. So give me the canes plus three. Give me the canes as my final leg of the money line parlay of the week. I said last Sunday, they're a team that lost that I'm still buying. So I'm going to stick with them. Give me the canes here. So to recap my bets, I have Penn State, Ohio State under 52 and a half. That's a bet from last Sunday that I gave out. I have Drew Aller under 190 and a half passing yards. I have Washington State under 20 and a half on the team total against Oregon. I have Missouri minus seven against South Carolina. I have Florida State minus 13 and a half against Duke. I'd play it to 14 and a half, which is what it's at now. I grabbed that 13 and a half yesterday. I don't like to play things. Uh, I don't like to play, uh, give out games at old numbers unless I've put it out there publicly already. I put it in my spreadsheet, but for y'all, I'm going to mark it down as 14 and a half because that's what I'm talking about it on the show. So that's what it will go as for my record is FSU minus 14 and a half. And then Miami plus three to end the night. My money line parlay of the week is Oklahoma state on the road against West Virginia wake hosting Pitt and Miami hosting Clemson. So Oklahoma state wake and Miami. That's uh, all three of those comes out to plus nine sixty two. Let's have a big week. Everybody enjoy the games until next time. Keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.